welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Well, if you ask me how am I, how am I doing right now, the night of recording, mm-hmm. I'm stressed out from the work week, yeah. having some allergy issues. But if you're asking me how I'm doing when this episode goes up, okay, I'm doing great. Now, why is that? Because this is a great weekend that I have ahead of me or will have had behind me by the time you're hearing this. Okay. Because it's the... Uh, uh, my the fiance, the fiance and I are going to opening weekend of the Renaissance Fair on Saturday. Which, All right, uh, which is a blast. I'm going to uh, I'm going to lean into this and assume you're going to be eating a giant turkey leg at some point, right? I did that last year, and I like I got it out of my system. Like a giant turkey leg, the edges yeah. of it are good, but then it's just a big hunk of dry meat. Yeah, often surprisingly salty as well. Yeah, I uh, I regretted it last year when I got yeah. one. It's always a good it's always a good idea in theory. Yeah, and then in practice, you're like, oh, how did they're like ten bucks too? How did Henry the Eighth do this? Yeah. Um, no, what I will be eating is uh, meat pies because the meat pies are delicious, um, uh, but also a little overpriced. They might be made of people. It's that I'm okay with that. All right, because they're delicious. Okay, it's like six bucks, but they're like not very big. All right, uh, but that's okay. The Renaissance Fair is a great time. Uh, the food might be expensive, but you know what's not. A ripoff is the axe throwing, where you pay like five bucks and you get to throw like ten axes. That's pretty good. That's fifty cents an axe. Fifty cents. Are they like little hatchets or like big battle axes? Uh, they're sort of uh, more hatchets, but sort of in between. They're a weird, like curved blade, or at least the okay. ones last last year were. And uh, I feel like I talked about this, pod- this on the podcast last year, but this also was. I think this is the first I've heard of it. Well, because so. Renaissance Fair, uh, I'm remembering now that your sabbatical, your month sabbatical uh, last year was during the Ren Fair. Okay. Because I remember we had, like, I was spurred to go because, I, like, two different guests who had been on during that time talked about having gone to the Ren Fair, and I was like, I gotta go. Because uh, I used to go, um, in high school, the drama club would take a field trip to the Kansas City Renaissance Fair every year, and I had a really good time, um, but I think, you know, there were chaperones, and part of it was... Uh, I don't know, theoretically, like, educational or whatever. And now it's, like, it's more... You go now and you can, like, you can buy drinks and you can throw axes and you can just walk around and do whatever you want. Yeah. And uh, it's a much different experience. And uh, I plan on making it a yearly thing. Also, Where where is it uh, located? It's out in Irwindale. Okay, I don't even know where that is. Um, it's, It's out there, a little ways. Okay. Like, I think you take the... 118 or the 210 okay i do enjoy okay. that sort of thing uh like it's i've never time. i've never been to i know it's not the same but i've never been to a colonial williamsburg but every time i have every time i see stuff shot there which is to say the whole of john adams uh i i'm like oh man it'd be super awesome just walk around there and stuff yeah uh, but i haven't been there yet well here's what you don't get at colonial williamsburg uh axe throwing axe throwing and non-stop rivalry just blue humor oh like, nice All right. everyone there it's like it's a, it's an excuse for these like this weird like subset of nerds to go and get a little tipsy and like yell lewd shit at one another yeah it has this this whole undercurrent of this whole this whole sex undercurrent at the renaissance fair that's it's uh and uh, go ahead you were gonna say something. uh i was gonna uh stay within that but change the subject a little bit so i won't uh oh, well, so i'll tell ahead. you uh one of the drinks i had last year um, it was called a Black Death, and I can't remember what all was in it. It was like two different kinds of uh, cider, and then two different kinds of like wine, mm-hmm. all mixed. This was like four things mixed together, right? Mm-hmm. But basically, they mix 
the two the two ciders together and they fill the cup up to the brim. You're like, oh, what? Okay, you've got two more things left, but it's already for the, <laughs> the brim. Here's why. And the 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 bench is up high, so just stand on your toes. You can't use your hands, and you have to put your lips on the like lip of the cup, Ugh. and then you have to drink in while they're pouring in the the ciders or whatever or the wines or whatever, and try and and they'll keep pouring theoretically as long as you can keep it from overflowing and they chant suck it while you do it there you go <laughs> um it's i was like in line for it because i really wanted to try this crazy drink but like in line for it i was watching and i was like i'm not gonna enjoy it. this is so so not me this is so not my kind of thing and then i had a blast then you remembered it involved drinking and <laughs> yeah. you're like oh right and i, I was forgot. weirdly good at i think that at some point they had to just like stop pouring the cider they're like this guy's never gonna <laughs> stop drinking <laughs> anyway yes. you were indeed the winner in I was that, in that yeah. circumstance. Uh, um, what I was going to uh, say is the, uh, the the dressing up and the sort of cosplay and that sort of thing and being yeah, in, yeah. and being in character uh, reminded me of something uh, something of a political story that I had heard about. Apparently, I think Florida, but I'm not a hundred percent. There is a uh, a Republican um, candidate for I think Congress. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was revealed that he enjoys doing like cosplay stuff, and he and he's like this goth, and he he has like his character, uh-huh. and is like a gothic character who speaks and just says just the most odious H.P. Lovecraftian slash Marilyn Manson <laughs> shit. Here's what I like about it, and they showed they showed a side by side photo of like here's him campaigning, here's him as the character, and it's and the character does indeed look kind of creepy. Um, what I like is that when confronted about it, he's just like, yeah, it's a thing I like doing because uh-huh. I like the theatricality of it. And just, he didn't walk back from it. Like he didn't that. even walk back from the crazy ass shit that I feel like nobody would ever want somebody to, you don't want your, you don't want to know that that's in your public figures brains. Right. But, uh, but he support. He was totally in favor of him. Part of me is like, man, I wish I could vote for that guy, regardless of what party he is. But frankly, it does seem like less that. likely in the Republican Party that you don't find a lot of cosplay there. I feel like, um, no, at least not out in the open. Watch out. Um, yeah, I like that furthering cosplay acceptance. Yeah, um, as I've as I've said, it's we are we're getting there. It's probably. I'm going to say two to three years away from me just buying a green suit oh. and going to Comic-Con and just being like, riddle me this. How? Li- where is the line? Uh, where does the line start? And stuff like that. Uh, I can't wait to be there for that. Um, anyway, so that's Saturday. That's what I'm doing Saturday is going to the Renaissance Fair. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Sunday is Thai New Year. Oh, yes. The Thai right. New Year Festival, which is uh, something that I do every year. Uh, it's, a, it's a real blast. And I feel like it's not – they don't advertise it that much. But it's huge for, for mm-hmm. something you don't hear about because they block off Hollywood Boulevard from Western to Normandy. If for people who know Hollywood, um, that's roughly what Thai Town is that yeah. area. Uh, and so the whole thing is blocked off. They've got kickboxing, like a, they erect a kickboxing ring in the middle of Hollywood Boulevard. There's a Thai beauty pageant. There's like food vendors, and then there's like sort of historical stuff. And uh, it's a yeah, it's a big blast. That sounds that sounds like a lot of fun. It is. And you know what? I here's here's the deal. I'm going I'm supporting you in your fun. Because you're going to Thai New Year uh-huh. means that you have to you will be abandoning your post at Hey Watch This. That's right. And I'm I'm filling in for you. So it'll be Hey Watch This with Paul and Tyler this That's week. That's right. And uh it should be noted 
that episode is going to be a big swing and a miss because <laughs> one of the things we'll be talking about is the series finale of a show I've never seen a single episode of, except except that one. I think that'll be. Uh, I think that'll make for good conversation. I look forward to listening to it. Yeah, it's one thing when Jim when Jim Bruce talks about the magic cabin with Lost, but uh-huh. if he started with the very last episode, yeah, especially. I, what I will say is all the controversy that I've been reading about, which I haven't read about specifically. I just see that people find that ending to be really controversial for uh, how I met your mother. And I thought, I thought, I wonder if I don't have any history with the show. First off, will the ending make sense at all? But also will I have this sense of outrage that, that people seem to, you know, I uh, have, I haven't seen the end because I haven't, I stopped watching the show like two, two and a half years ago, something like that. Um, but having, because I don't care, I went ahead and read what happened oh, okay. in the end. Um, and maybe it's in the execution, because basically what I read felt right to me, or felt like it okay. fit in the world of How I Met Your Mother. Okay. Yeah, it's I'm I'm intrigued to see what uh what I think and, and if I will have anything to contribute uh, besides questions. Be like, hey, Paul, this seemed to be a reference to something. What was that? <laughs> yeah, especially these, I mean, you joke about... Uh, Paul's old show, his old co-host watching a random episode of Lost. But How I Met Your Mother, you know, for a like three camera sitcom, has just as dense a backstory as Lost does. Yeah, this this is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> and then you're also watching Community. That's right. Yes, but I'm I'm caught up on that. That's a show okay. I actually watch. So uh, I feel like what we were going to talk about at the top, maybe we can skip. No, I feel like we should we should at least mention it. Okay, because we have. Uh, as long as we've been doing this podcast, we've talked about Entertainment Weekly because we were for, both for subscribers. Good or Ill, yes, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, they took our advice and stopped publishing Stephen King's columns, right? Which uh, were awful um, and tarnished the memory of his books week in and week out. <laughs> um, but now they've gone and laid off Owen Gleiberman. Yeah, which now not I- that long after Lisa Schwartzbaum quit. Yeah. I mean, not that she, like, I don't think she, like, turned in her badge and gun and stormed out. Like, I think it was an amiable parting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, do you know if, and that's the thing, I, I, I haven't read much uh, much of the detail, much of the behind-the-scenes kind of thing, but uh, is it just that they felt they couldn't afford him anymore and that they wanted to... Well, you know, this goes hand-in-hand with the thing that they've uh, started, which is on their website, which is the EW community. I don't know if you've heard about this. I have heard, that I have heard about, yes. Which is essentially recruiting bloggers to write unpaid and publish them on ew.com yeah. which is unconscionable it's, i know it's who would ever this is not acceptable wait are you speaking ironically because that's exactly what we do on our website yeah but uh but we're not entertainment we're not weekly. entertainment weekly yes. okay like we're not asking uh you know we're not making Really, we're not making any more money than the no money we're paying our fair enough our contributors. Fair enough. I mean, a little bit that goes back into the podcast or into you know trips like Comic Con, yeah, or, or WonderCon, right on the right on the bend. Um, I think at the LA Film Festival last year, Battleship Retention paid for my parking fees. Fair enough. Um, so th- those sorts of things crop up. Uh, but yeah, we're not making. If we were making money hand over fist. Or if we were even making a decent amount of money, yeah. our contributors would see some of that. Fair enough. And, and uh, that holds true. Like, you know, we would still like to be making more money from the website. Indeed. So if enough of you donate or buy our premium episode, we'll get to that in a bit. Wow, nice. Um, 
maybe we could pay our writers. I mean, a lot of you would have to donate for that to happen because yeah. we it costs money to keep this site going, yeah, uh, and keep the podcast going. But um, so that's that's the thing that uh, you know upset me is the idea. Own Gleiberman's been there for twenty years. Yeah, uh, are they just letting him go because he's too expensive? That I would assume that's what it is, and also it does seem with. The fact that this comes out right on the heels of the announcement of the the community thing, yeah. cl- clearly, the the higher ups are trying to recognize. Okay, magazines kind of aren't a big thing anymore, uh, and so everything is everything's online, and so let's do that. And hey, while we're doing it, we can probably save a lot of money by putting us. And frankly, if it had been if this happened a few if this had happened a few years ago, I myself might be like, oh wow, the opportunity to be published sort of kind of in entertainment weekly that sounds like that sounds very exciting yeah uh so i might i might have gone for it myself and so um so yeah i think they saw an opportunity to be like all right well we can cut this guy loose while while embracing admit albeit like 10 years too late but embracing that the fact that the internet's not going away um but yeah it is it is a bummer though i though i tended not to agree with owen gleiberman very often uh which is to say, even when he liked a movie that I liked, we tended not to like them for the same reasons. Uh, but I think I mostly enjoyed the way that he wrote. And and he is, insofar as, as any critic can be anymore, he was an institution there. Yeah. And, uh, and it is... Yeah, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't generally judge a critic by how often I agree with them. Because I read most reviews after I've read a movie anyway. Exactly. Um, I, uh, I tend to judge them by how, how they think and write about movies. And yeah. so I'm with you. I, I often, maybe more often than not disagree with Owen, Owen Gleiberman, but I liked reading him. Yeah. Between, between, between him and, uh, Lisa Schwartzbaum, I tended to agree more with her and, and I liked, yes, I. and I liked her approach a little bit more often, but nonetheless, like he still was, he was a working critic who, mm-hmm. who, if you would, if you would, him being laid off is sort of like Law and Order going off the air. Part of me is just like, what? Wasn't that just always going to be? Yeah. He was like, he was the film critic for Entertainment Weekly. Yeah. They're not going to just not have a film critic anymore. Yeah. So yeah, like Tracy Tracy Morgan and Thirty Rock when they cancel Law and Order, it was a tadpole, <laughs> a tadpole. Um, I'll say I do like Chris Nashawati. Yeah, the, he, I, the, I do actually like him. I liked him when he was the 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 home video and dvd guy and now he's like i guess moved up i guess to the theatrical reviews uh, yeah. Entertainment Weekly, and I, I like him a lot too but don't i am, get, don't get too comfortable chris though yeah. apparently in 20 years they'll get rid of you yeah and i do uh, a part of me wants to i mean i've been a subscriber um for going on 15 years i guess of uh entertainment weekly and part of me wants to consider getting rid of my subscription just on principle because i don't like that they're not paying these people and that they're getting rid of people like Owen Gleiberman. Yeah. Yeah. Aside from, yeah, I'll just go ahead and buy the movie The you know, is it, it, they only, do they only do, do they do it for all seasons? All four seasons? Fall um, movie, spring, summer? I think at this point they do. They didn't okay. used to. Okay. Yeah. I'll just buy those so that we can talk about them on the show and then. I don't know. I, I mean, I still read Entertainment Weekly more for um, TV stuff than for movie stuff but now we i have we have av club which is yes uh, which i tend to go to a lot yeah. especially for television and also the two people 
uh, Ken Tucker and Jillian Flynn are also not like regular uh, part of the regular EW staff anymore. And those are the people that I read the TV reviews of. Jillian Flynn's now a big uh, novelist, Mm -hmm. and Ken Tucker still writes for Internet Weekly sometimes, but he's I think he's on a freelance basis. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, we could devote i think if you were to add up all of the things that we've said about entertainment weekly you could probably edit together a full episode yeah uh, over the years but uh so yeah, prob- probably not a very favorable one no probably not uh and so um so i don't want to repeat myself here but yes it is it is always a bummer to me when a critic especially somebody who's devoted their whole life to doing this thing and and had found a home uh, anytime a critic gets laid off yeah uh, it is sad to me and it's and it one- happens all the time now like um i i, I don't know how, how like into this i want to get but you know you and i like have fostered you know dreams of or aspirations maybe of being critics but i also like when i see how often stuff like this happens and the fact that i have a regular job that i like like mm-hmm. i i jokingly refer to my job as my day job yeah but it's like a real job that i you know i'm not just like marking time to pay the bills like yeah. i like my job uh and it takes a lot out of me sometimes but it's uh uh it just more but what i'm saying is more and more you hear about people losing their jobs you know a site will get you know uh you know a site gets purchased by a corporation then they run it for a few months and decide to just collapse it for and use the bandwidth for something else and everyone loses their jobs or you know we talked i guess this is two three months ago about uh david ehrlich getting uh fired from film.com uh and you know now this and these free contributors over at ew.com it's uh the the landscape is not yeah, it's. I do feel like, oh, geez, we really uh, jumped into this at the wrong time. Yeah, um, yeah, and I mean, we were talking with uh, when Laramie was on the show mm-hmm. uh, about this and how, um, you know, almost no one uh, under a certain age, and even now, maybe over a certain age, makes a living just writing movie reviews. Yeah. Like they often have to do news or other sort of lists, which I like. Those are popular, and I know they're popular because I like to read lists, yeah. but I also couldn't write like that, I don't think. I mean, I, no, I could. You know what? If you're if you're out there hiring, I will give it a shot for you, but uh, it's not the way I think. It's it's tough. I mean, even when we when we write stuff for the, uh, the list that we compile from, you know, our listeners, like, that's the thing that we initiate, uh, and we always, in, and we enjoy it. We enjoy the interactivity of it, but I find like, it's like, okay, well, now I have to write my paragraphs. It's like, and one paragraph for this, for, it's like, all right, you've got a paragraph to talk about Citizen Kane. Enjoy. <laughs> and be like, uh, can't I just write it's great and move on? Right. Like, if we're limiting me, why not just do that? So, yeah, I, I know what you mean. And, uh, but that's all right. You know, we've got, you know, you've got a TV show and, uh, sorry, a TV podcast. And this, I've got two movie podcasts. We will be fine with that, and uh, well, no, we're still looking. Like we're still sure. Absolutely, I will still. If someone wants to pay me to write, I will still. Oh no question, write, no write question about it. Yeah, I will abandon this website <laughs> so fast. Um, well, I mean, you know, as we've learned from our poll, people think of Battleship Retention as a podcast way before they think of it as a website. So, yeah. what are we even doing over there? That's a good question. Well, we're getting free screenings is what we're getting. No, yeah, I, I'm, we're, doing. we're joking. Our website is something that I'm very proud of. 
Sometimes I feel this is getting like a little bit inside like the inner workings of Battleship Pretension. Okay. But like. But our password is. Right now, what I'm saying is that you, Tyler, put a lot of work, I think, into the podcast more than I do. Uh, I mean, I guess I do the physical like editing and stuff. Yeah. But I feel like you do like the sponsorships that we get, like Tyler handles all that, That's you know, true. and those sorts of things. Whereas I very much foster our relationships with PR people and handle the website and the screenings and that sort of thing. But the fact that people think of this as a podcast way more than a website makes me wonder if I'm not doing my part or if I'm wasting my time sometimes. Uh, I I think those, obviously if they think that that's fine, but at the same time uh, we have way more, we have way more unique views on the website than we have listeners of the podcast. So whatever, it's fine. Um, Okay. Okay. But enough of that. Speaking of sponsors, Oh, yeah, we got to speak of... So I want everyone to cuddle up close to your tweakedaudio.com earbuds. You go to tweakedaudio.com, spelled like it sounds, mm-hmm. slash pretension. That's where you get tweaks, uh, a variety of styles and colors of professional quality earbuds mm-hmm. at a low, low price with an extra one-third off and no shipping charges. That's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. All right. So everybody get ready because the sponsor I'm about to tell you about... They have. They are going to be sponsoring us for the next sixteen weeks. So, but it's not going to be the same every week. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It better be a different copy. It's. It is every single week. No, because here's what we're doing. Hold on, I want to walk my. I want to walk that back a little bit. Uh, if anyone out there wants to sponsor us for sixteen weeks and read and wants to have us read the same copy every episode, we will do that if the price is right. Depending on what you're, you know, selling. <laughs> we have some. Scruples. There's a lot of you're you're adding a lot of qualifiers. We have some scruples, but not that many. Scruples. Not that many, really. Yeah. Um, as evidenced by this, I mean, just listen, just listen, everybody. <laughs> this thing is just a well. Okay, obviously, actually, in in my uh, interaction with these people, it actually sounds like a lot of fun, and I'm very excited to be uh, partnering with them for this. But um, but it's another podcast, David. Another podcast is sponsoring our podcast. Hold on, I don't know if I like this. I know we're just Giving driving voice people to, to the competition. Yeah, but that's all right because their their money their money works. Um, but what I will say is that, uh, and and honestly, I hadn't really heard much about their show before this, and now I'm thrilled because it sounds it sounds so far up or down up up our alley is the term. Yeah, it sounds right up our alley. Yeah, I will. I will. Is it in your wheelhouse though? Yes, okay. no question about it. Let me read this. What, okay. what, what in terms of. Cups of tea. Mm-hmm. Is it your cup of tea? I, I tend not to like tea. Okay. Unless I'm drinking it in a wheelhouse at the end okay. of an alley that I've walked okay. up. Um, does it, like if you had a boat, let's say okay. you had a boat. Yeah. And it, you know, needed floating. Yeah. Would you turn to this con- this podcast to, to float your boat? I think so, yeah. Okay. Okay. That's the thing is like, as I was looking at this, I, I, I had my fancy uh-huh. and this struck it. Several times. Oh, really? Yeah, struck the hell out of it. That's, uh, yeah. Um, hopefully, when the time comes, I will have about me my druthers. <laughs> and my druthers will allow me to listen to this great podcast. There's got to be others, but I can't think of any. Um, okay. There's got to be others, but we're stopping with druthers. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Stay tuned next week. I'll, co- I'll We'll come up with more. Um, all right. So I'm going to read this real quick. And David, I feel like as I read this, you will be a convert to this podcast. I already am. Okay. Uh, and you're preaching to me. They have... Oh, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
This stupid show. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, that negative uh, iTunes comment was uh, spot on. <laughs> Although I will say, there's a lot of charisma coming off of the coming out of the mics right now. Oh yeah. Um, okay, so David, this is the 300th episode, not ours. This okay. is the 300th episode of Double Feature. Wow. It's a podcast that uh, takes two admittedly very different films and talks about them, uh, comparing them, but also talking about uh, their separate uh, merits. Here's what the 300th episode is. On the 300th episode of Double Feature, Shark Boy and Lava Girl finally solve Mulholland Drive. <laughs> First, a conversation about the adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl in 3D. Uh, and they talk about Aesop's fables. They talk about a lot of stuff in any given episode, and I couldn't even write all of it down because uh, we've got to we've got to get to our own topic. But then they have a conversation about Mulholland Drive, and here's what struck me most about that: how do you have the be- how to have the best conversation about Mulholland Drive? Uh-huh. And they ask this question. This is where we will leave it. Right or wrong? Do most people have the impression they understand the film? <laughs> uh, that that alone and that idea, because they seem to be doing a lot of what of what you and I do, which is how how do we best approach this thing? And especially when it comes to Mulholland Drive, a movie that admittedly at the time I didn't like, but I've come to respect a great deal. Movies like that, it's just like there's there's probably people out there who's like I get it, right? And yeah. then they just and they proceed as though they get it, and it's like can you even get it? And so. I'm very excited to listen to the show. Uh, and so if you... I want to know how they pick the movies. That, I, you know what? I'll email and I will ask them. Because uh, they've got it all charted out for the next uh, 16 weeks, what they're going to be doing. So I would like to maybe get a little peek behind the scenes. But uh, but yeah, if you're curious to listen to uh, Double Feature, you can go to BattleshipPretension.com. And under the Sponsor tab on the right, you can click on their ad. There'll You'll see a photo of uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl and Mulholland Drive. And uh, yeah, and stay tuned for uh, the next, you know, next 16 weeks because we'll be talking about a different episode every time. All right. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, and well, I'm going to just throw it straight to you because uh, this topic was your idea. It's my baby. And we never came up with a name for it, so. Oh, shit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the heat is on. That's it. There it is. The heat is on. <laughs> I hope we commit to that. We'll just we'll just embrace Mike Schmidt's uh, theory of titling his episodes, and then just after his favorite thing that yeah. he says in the episode. Uh, although I think honestly, what choice do we have but to say but just call it Druthers, because uh, that <laughs> clearly is that that is the high point of this episode. Um, all right, yeah, I will explain what this is, and it is hard to explain. You'll understand why we have a hard time coming up with a title for it. Um, I came up with a title for it, but then David said that actually applies better to this other topic, which I, and I agree with him. Okay. Uh, Good. So when I watch certain, when I watch any movie or any television show or whatever, there are certain things that I will see that hit me just right for whatever reason. They always work for you. They always work for me. And I might be inclined to like that movie or TV show just a little bit more. Because it includes this thing. This thing could be as grand as a, a certain type of beautiful uh, uh, shot mm-hmm. or a specific type of edit that always, that always strikes me the right way. It could be that. It could be literal like filmmaking technique. Mm-hmm. It could be uh, a scene, a specific type of scene between characters. 
It could be uh, the relationship that two characters have. Those are all very broad. Or they can be such small, minute details. It literally, I see something on the screen for about a second and a half. But for some reason, for whatever reason, and we'll get into it as we as we get further into the topic. For whatever reason, I see that. And whether consciously or unconsciously, I just go, all right. <laughs> and I'm just really happy for it. Uh, the, the comparison that I make is... Uh, for anybody that has seen the film Amelie, it's a movie I don't love, but there are things in it that I think are are wonderful. And one of the things that that the film does well is it explores this idea that everybody, every individual in the world, mm-hmm. there are things we all have in common, but then there are little things that everybody, everybody likes their own little thing. It could be, uh, for example, sticking your hand in a, uh, in like a, a I guess not a bucket, but like a bag of flour, uh-huh. you know, oh, right. yeah, and yeah. just feeling that not everybody likes that. Uh, yeah. you know, and just, it could be a, a specific sound that just really, that you always like. Um, and so, and there, there are multiple other, uh, examples from uh, popping bubble wrap is one that like people just like it. Sir, it really doesn't play that big of a role in your life. It's just a little pleasure, simple pleasures. Uh huh. Maybe, maybe. There's a title right there. Okay. That's a, that's a possible title. Simple Druthers. Simple Druthers. Now we're talking. <laughs> well, I think that's that's our band, David, <laughs> that you and I need to start. So I, I've been aware of these things for a long time, but I realize, and, and I've probably mentioned them here and there throughout our, throughout our episodes. Uh, but I thought it'd be interesting to devote an entire episode to them. Well, let me start with the first one that came to mind for me. Okay, <clears throat> because it's one that's almost. It's almost like a guilty pleasure, okay? Um, because it's a it's a trick that always works for me, even right. though I know. Uh, I was thinking this is, I guess, what's it been a year or two since the watch came out? Remember that movie? Uh, yeah. And uh, my fiance then, then she was just my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Nothing serious. Yeah. Uh, we just we, having just a couple <laughs> people having fun. Yeah. Uh, we saw it together, and then afterwards we were talking about how much we both didn't like it. Okay. <laughs> it's not a very good movie. Uh, did you see it? I did, and I I believe it was either last year or the year before that I said it was uh it was my pick for underrated. Oh, okay. Because I laughed a lot. Um. Well, the, and then there was one part where she was saying, "Oh, and then at the end, where they all have the guns and the slow motion with the gangster rap is so cliche." And I was like, "Actually, I thought that was cool because that will always work for me. Like slow motion mm-hmm. is something that I know is a trick, mm-hmm. uh, and gets it gets overused a lot. Yeah. But I think." There are certain types of slow motion, especially when it's used to make someone like more badass, you yeah. know, in like action. Uh, you're speaking my language right now. Yes. Slow motion will wor- really work for me. Slow motion mm-hmm. doesn't work for me when it's, say, Gwyneth Paltrow getting off the bus and Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. I'm like, get on with it. Right. <laughs> that one works for me, but I know yes. that, that's not partially my... because of the choice of music, but yes. yeah, that's not my thing. But if it's like. Yeah, if it's Richard Ayoade or whatever, you know, pulling out two handguns and yeah. shooting at aliens as he's walking backwards, all cool like, that's that's going to work for me. Let me ask time. you this: Does the slow motion and uh, and uh, hip hop montage work well for you in office space where they're beating the hell out of the uh, printer? That is that is exactly what I'm talking. Okay, about. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, really, I, oh, do you remember you used to play the game? You asked people. Uh, it, you're you're fighting zombies in a mall, right? Yes. Where you get and you have to pick your weapon, mm-hmm. an historical figure, living, you know, real or fictional. Yeah. Uh, and a song. Yes. Right. And mine, 
the scene I imagined was me and Jet Li with crowbars, mm. and the song was Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun by Beastie Boys. Okay. And I just imagined it in slow motion. Uh, as that You know, crushing zombie skulls and giving high fives while the Beastie Boys are playing. That's that's what I imagine. That's like somehow my idea of cool has to do with slow motion violence and hip hop at the same time. It is odd. My idea of cool involves super awesome rock music and driving fast. <laughs> so when I picture that, I picture me and former president Teddy Roosevelt with pump action shotguns in a golf cart, admittedly, uh-huh. uh, just flying down. Yeah, that's a little thing you put in there. I the threw, vehicle is not normal. Right, I threw that in. Okay. Uh, just because for some reason, I just always pictured that, just him saying bully and like shooting <laughs> stuff, you know, shooting zombies out of this golf cart while we listen to uh, ACDC Shoot to Thrill. That's a good one. That is a good one. Uh, but I'm realizing, to move on a little bit, that um, like good pop music in general uh, works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did you ever get around to seeing The Hangover Part Three? I did not. Well, I, I I've I've heard that you uh, that you care for it, that you like it. I did enjoy it. Okay, um, I know I'm in the minority there. Uh, but if you remember back from last May when I saw it, I talked at length about the podcast about a certain sequence, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, Bradley Cooper and Zach Galifianakis trying to find uh, Ken Jeong's character, and they bust on the door to his penthouse. Mm-hmm. Well, there's strobe lights and NIB by black sabbath <laughs> playing and they're like stalking through this cra- it's like super loud strobe lights there's like topless women everywhere like scattering from like ah you know that's what always happens in those movies of course um, and, and this is happening in a comedy not a uh, uh yeah and not a david fincher film from exactly the 90s. they're stalking through this penthouse while the black sabbath is playing incredibly loudly uh that that gets me that hmm. so yeah i guess it's, the use of pop music, but only to get across certain things. Because there's also a lot of use of pop music in movies that I hate. Okay. Um, I recently saw a French movie called On My Way, um, where they used uh, a Rufus Wainwright song. Now, granted, I don't like Rufus Wainwright, so that might have part, you know, something to do with it. But uh, that was that was getting across something that I felt was very trite and it was kind of cheating mm-hmm. by using this pop song to like get across her sense of liberation she's leaving her life and her job behind and she's getting in her car and she's driving out into the countryside uh, and it's yeah. this sort of soaring pop song and um that seems very cheap because it's a it's a it's a shortcut i think mm-hmm. whereas the stuff i'm talking about this use of pop music uh that turns a sequence into a sort of almost a music video on its own okay uh, you know what i mean yeah um like the the sequence in hangover part three or uh or in the watch if i saw that on youtube out of context not even having seen the rest of the movie i would still think it was cool yeah there's a a sequence in the insider in which he is uh going to go give a deposition and he's a little it's it's been made clear that if he gives this deposition he could be in major trouble and so he's sitting and trying to think about what am i going to do here uh, and then finally he makes the decision and we just see this just wonderfully put together montage of just him getting in the car. It's, there's no sound. There's just this piece of music that was, that has been, that was not 
written specifically for the film. Uh, it was later used in Deadwood uh, right around the time uh, of uh, the assassination of a major character. And we get to see everybody's response to it. Do you know the piece I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, very much. Yeah, it's very effective. And in that moment, it's just it, there's just tension and tension mixed with a, a certain degree of anticipation, which I guess the two often go together. But uh, but yeah, and that sequence was one of my favorite sequences for a long time in that film because it just in the context, of course, it, 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 it's loaded with meaning, but on its own, it works really well too. And you know that, Oh my gosh, something's going on here. This is very exciting. So it, yes, it does sort of work as a music video on its own as well. So, uh, I put together a pretty long list here. Um, and it's, this is kind of a mixture of some things that are just kind of goofy, uh-huh. Uh, and some things that are, uh, I was clearly tending toward the goofy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This is kind of a, a mix, a mix of things. Um, I will lead with something that I love because almost any of these often boil down to believability and selling the reality of the film. That's something that as I was making my list, I'm like, okay, this, uh, I'm noticing a theme here. Um, and the first one is acknowledging what I call acknowledging the situation. And here's some examples. And this especially works well for horror movies. All right. Uh, signs. Among my favorite scene, uh, scenes in Signs, Scenes and Signs. Uh-huh. Um, sign is, scenes. Sign scenes. I'm not liking this at all. Uh, <laughs> is So, okay, alien trapped in the closet. He's got his knife. Uh-huh. He walks forward, puts it underneath the door, sees nothing immediately retreats to a place of safety and just stands and just kind of revs himself up a little bit because, and in that, in that moment, he's acknowledging like, okay, this is insane. What I'm doing is insane. Uh Something's back there. I didn't see it the first time. I'm about to go and do this again. Are you shitting me? Like it's (laughs) that kind of thing. And then he's just kind of getting himself going and then he goes and does it as opposed to, you know, the first time he throws, he puts the knife down to, to, he's using it to reflect what's on the other side of the door. So it didn't happen the first time, nor did they take a moment, nor did they just have him do it immediately again. They took a nice character moment that resonates with me to this day because it's just like, yes, you retreat to safety. It's like, all right, this uh-huh. didn't happen the first time. Let's reassess. We're doing all right. Off we go. So that's one. Uh, another example is Jaws. Uh, you're going to need a bigger boat. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a reason the line works, and it's literally like, okay, things are worse than we thought. Uh-huh. We all had one. We all had one impression that turned out to not be true. Uh, so now, now what do we do? It, assessing the situation is also kind of a kind of a now what kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but perhaps my favorite one among these, and there are other movies that do it, but these are the three that popped up. Is in Alien. Uh, and it's a scene that, oddly enough, with when the when they released the director's cut uh, in the when they released it in theaters in the early two thousands, they uh, cut this scene out, and it, it bummed me out quite a bit. And I understand why they did because it's it's a Tom Skerritt scene, uh-huh. and since Alien has become associated with Ripley, uh, I could see why they cut that out. But he's about to go into the vent, where he will eventually spoilers meet his demise. Uh, but before he does that, he's sitting in the like computer room talking to mother, the computer, Mm -hmm. and he's just asking for verification, uh, asking on like, Hey, can you analyze our plan and tell us if this is going to work? And it just keeps saying unable to compute, unable to compute. And then finally, and he's asking like very 
specific questions. And then finally he just types, what are my chances? Like he knows, Mm -hmm. he knows this is not, there's a good chance. There's a very good chance. He's not going to walk away from this. Yeah. And like, and then it just says unable to compute. Of course, he's not actually asking that. He's just kind of typing that uh, kind of for himself. And then it just says unable to compute. And you just see him kind of lean back and just kind of let out a just let out a, 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 a mournful sigh. And it's a wonderful bit of subtle acting by uh, Tom Skerritt. And it's also, you know, in horror movies and in suspense movies, characters tend to be like, all right, let's do this. And it's always that. And so any movie that takes a moment and says – well, what are we doing here? Like, we are going to die. Uh-huh. It is. It, we might not, but we likely are. And I like it. I like any movie that takes at least just a, it doesn't even have to be a whole scene. It can be just one moment or in the case of Jaws, one line and says, all right, let's, let's assess the situation. Now what? So that's something every time I say, I'm like, damn right. It's funny that you mentioned something that, sells the reality because to me some of the things that i thought of are almost the opposite are the the things that almost uh wink at the fact that this is a movie and show you i'm not talking about cgi and special effects uh the thing i'm very specifically talking about is showing you something that is real but using the fact that it's through a camera and the fact that it's on a gigantic towering screen Mm -hmm. to present it in a way that is unreal. Yeah. Almost. Uh, I think, I mean, Stanley Kubrick is maybe the number one example I'm talking about, you know, like he built these sets, the shining, it's just a hotel, but he's showing it to you in a way that it is so imposing and terrifying. And it's not a way that you would see it if you were standing there, Mm -hmm. you know, it almost, it looks like alien territory, you know, um, in more recent examples, uh, I mean, the great beauty, my favorite movie of last year starts, uh, in blackness and the camera pulls out and you realize you were looking down the uh, I'm going to re- reference the Beastie Boys again looking down the barrel of a gun Okay, you're looking down the barrel of a ca- cannon the camera pulls out and sort of swoops down as this ceremonial cannon is fired for the tourists and it's a big like lots of clapping mm-hmm. uh, you know and it's something you would never see Right. Uh, my favorite maybe my favorite shot in uh, 12 Years a Slave is the shot of the steamboats like uh, oh, i love it i don't know what you call that thing rotor or uh, there's probably i don't know there's, there's a, a word for yeah it. there's a uh, there's a word for it there's a very specific paddle word it's just a big paddle <laughs> yeah but like you would never there's no way for you as a person to be there and right. get that vantage point on that you yeah. know except for through a camera and it makes this thing that is man-made and very mechanical and practical something alien and maybe kind of terrifying uh, and that's so. I, that's something I really respond to. I think um, unless they do it too much, like for example, Panic Room, where it uses this, where it uses the camera to go through the handle of a coffee yeah, cup for no particular about, reason. That's what I'm talking about. That's CGI or that's visual effects. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's not really uh, that. That does take me out of it a little bit, unless it's unless it's done well. Um, but uh, I mean, even. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to. Uh, I just I just recently saw Jim Jarmusch's new movie, Only Lovers Left Alive, mm-hmm. and there is a part where they're in a like dark parking garage, and you see some like uh, some animals like run away, and I I think that they are CG, which okay. is weird for Jim Jarmusch. Yes, it is. But it's also shot digital, which is also I think the first time he's done that. Hmm. Um, and it did take me out of it a little bit, but most of 
um, most of what Jim Jarmusch does in Only, Lover, Only Lovers Left Alive is exactly what I'm talking about. He's presenting, you know, the opening shots are the two characters who are on the, each on the other side of the world. But the camera is, they're both laying down, her in a bed, he on a couch. Mm-hmm. She's in Tangier, he's in Detroit. But the camera, it cuts back and, back and forth between shots of the camera spinning over them as you, that's your introduction to their world. Is okay. this spinning and sinking down on them. And so, uh, I, I guess this almost seems like, yeah, that's what cinema is. But presenting reality in a way that we couldn't experience it yeah that, that nods to the fact that you're seeing it uh again on a big screen theoretically you know i mean yeah. a lot of these movies I mean, the first time i saw shining it was probably the shining was probably on a you know 1990 yeah, or whatever yeah. <laughs> but um uh you know that's the idea is you're seeing these things that are larger than life and i think embracing that really works for me which is not to say the opposite doesn't uh, right you know I, I i like the the you know the films of uh like uh ken loach or whatever mm-hmm. you know um but uh that 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 sort of twist on reality is something that uh really works for me which makes it weird that i didn't like drive <laughs> because that's all that it is yeah every time yeah, yeah every time you mention like just a bit of your philosophy or something like that part of me is like i keep going back to drive what is yeah. going on here it's the maybe is maybe it's the exception that proves the rule it's almost like drive falls into the uncanny valley for me like it's so <laughs> close yeah it's so close to what i like without quite being it that it's repulsive to me hmm. um yeah and i will say that oddly enough from a from a visual standpoint um i'm i'm usually pretty fine with like not necessarily artifice, but just a reminder that like, hey, this is you're being allowed into something that mm-hmm. you're not that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise. But almost when it comes to character and the reality of the situation, especially when it comes. I mean, I just mentioned Jaws, Signs and Alien. Uh-huh. Those are very unrealistic situations. Yeah. Um, and so we need certainly from a character standpoint, we need to be reminded that like, oh, this is a real thing with real consequences, at least in the in the reality of the film. Uh, okay, another thing, and this is this is the first one I thought of, oddly enough, and it's the one that it sounds the cheesiest. Um, I'm a big fan, not necessarily uh, in life, but in movies, I'm a big fan of teamwork. <laughs> I like when a team is doing you know what, what they do. Finally, this episode, you and I are on the same page. Okay. And this is probably, uh, I mean, it's one among many reasons, but one of the many, many reasons I love Joss Whedon's work is okay, because yes. he, he is also very drawn to that idea. Yeah. And it always, it always gets me. It's, I can sum it up by, um, there's a, there's a line that, um, that I love in the movie state in Maine. Not that that's necessarily a big, uh, teamwork kind of movie, but, uh, <laughs> the, uh, no, that's okay. Sorry, I was looking at this other bit of note, and I wasn't what, wasn't sure what it was, but I got it. Um, yeah, and so State and Maine. There's a there's a scene in which David Paymer is talking with uh, William H Macy. One is the producer of a movie. One's the director, and they've got different things to do. There are things that need to be done, and one of them says, "I'll do that. You do this," uh-huh. or "I'll do this. You do that." It's one of those. And that li- first off, I love that line, and it I've sort of taken it as something of a life philosophy, especially when it comes to like my marriage, which is one person can't do everything. I'll do this, you do that, and then we're covered. Um, but that goes on to any almost any relationship 
any teamwork type of relationship in film. So it could be, you know, Ocean's Eleven, any kind of heist movie is a good example. Um, I'm a big fan of The Usual Suspects, especially there at the end where, like, the idea is it's also kind of the idea of backup, that just when one person is reminded by the force that they're up against, once they're reminded, like, oh, my gosh, I I can't do this by myself, mm-hmm. usually somebody is right there, and that's according to plan. They're supposed to be right there yeah. to back this person up. And you said, Joss Whedon, yeah, like the Avengers, for example, yeah, is, a, is a great example. Yeah, there, I, I mean, I think Serenity maybe even more so because it has um, <clears throat> this this feeling like if they weren't a team – they might talk themselves out of what they're doing. Oh, yeah. You know? But because they're there for one another. I don't know. I'm I'm also thinking of, uh, I know this isn't uh, film, this is TV, but the last episode of Angel also has this thing. With the, the odds are just so daunting mm-hmm. that they go into this thing sort of knowing, like, like with Tom Skerritt, you know, knowing, like, we're probably not going to make it. And yeah. if we weren't part of this band, uh, not, you know, musical band, but a band of brothers, mm-hmm. um, and sisters and, you know, one uh, sort of demigod. Um, if they weren't part of this group, they might talk themselves out of it. Yeah. But because they have to be there for one another, yeah, they're going to go in, uh, go all in and, and fight to the end. And that's, uh, I think it speaks to my sense of patriotism. It speaks to why I like to watch team sports like hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there was a recent uh, hockey fans will know what i'm talking about but recently uh it was a very scary incident uh dallas stars um player his heart stopped and he clapped on collapsed on the bench he oh had just come off of a shift he was still in the first period and he just collapsed um and they were uh, he's fine now i mean he'll be fine he's missing um some play while he recovers but uh they you know they they reacted quickly they got him on a stretch they got him out to the ambulance uh he came to in the ambulance and the first his first two questions are how much time is left in the first period and when can I go back in? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that really like means a lot to me. Uh, like it's not just about him being like a tough son of a bitch. Yeah. It's because like, uh, hockey sort of has this pl- platoon mentality where they all have to be there for one another. You don't, you don't want to slack off at any point because you know, someone else is going to have to pick that up. Yeah. Uh, and, and that, that goes, that, that shows in, you know, a lot of, I mentioned platoons, you know, military movies as well have, yeah. have, a, have a lot of that. And again, I feel like I'm, I keep going back to TV, but, uh, um, I was thinking about band of brothers recently because mm-hmm. that's you and I watched it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you rewatched it since? Not since now. Okay. I have. And also, not, not in its entirety. I've seen okay. the odd episode here and there, you know, also, uh, the AV Club um, is our friend, uh, friend of the show, Todd Vanderwerf, is starting a, they do, you know, they do their weekly recaps of the currently mm-hmm. airing TV shows, but they also do TV Club Classic, where they all review an older show episode, an episode a week, yeah. you know? So he just started doing Band of Brothers this week, um, and I'm really looking forward to reading it. But there's a part, uh, you know, um, sometimes when the characters get minor wounds, um they have to go to the hospital and then they're told they have to stay in the hospital or, you know, the mobile armory surgical unit or whatever <laughs> it is, uh, and recuperate for a certain amount of time. And they always sneak away and come back to yeah. the camp. And then there's the one guy, um, who gets injured in like the third episode or something, uh, and comes back in like the seventh episode because he didn't sneak away. Like he didn't do anything wrong, right? but he stayed the amount of time he was told to stay and he's, 
essentially not a part of the band of brothers anymore. Hmm. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah. So I know this was your thing, but I totally overtook it because it really, I hadn't thought of it. That's something that I really enjoy as well. I think there is something inherently satisfying about it. It's one of the things that I love about the uh, Harry Potter series is this idea of people working as a team, Mm -hmm. whether, and then realizing that like the team is larger than you think. It's what in our, we didn't actually mention it by the way, perhaps I will go out of my way to say it now. Uh, Our most recent premium episode is now available. Yes. uh, In which, uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, uh, co-editor Scott Nye, David and myself, we talked about the year 2007. The episode is two hours and 50 minutes long, and uh, you can purchase it for $1.29. And you That's can, a lot of listening for $1.29. Indeed, and you can help support the show as you do so, and we would really appreciate it. So if you go to BattleshipRetention.com, you'll see a link that gets you where you need to go. And in, we talk about Harry Potter we, and the Order of the Phoenix. Yes, uh, and so... One of the reasons that I love that movie is, and I I talked about in the, in the bonus episode that like there at the end the the adults show up, and that goes to what I was talking about like with backup, this idea of now there's also this realization over the course of the next couple of films that like oh we're gonna have to fight this ourselves like we can't depend on the grownups to take care of us, but that hasn't yet happened, and so. You see the grown-ups show, show up. You see, like, oh, there's Lupin. And it's like, oh, shit, there's Moody. <laughs> Here we go. And it's like, and the, but, the, but the, the kids aren't done fighting. Just because the grown-ups, they're, they're not going to be like, all right, they can, do our, they can fight our fight for us. Uh, they are now part of a team. They are an order. They are an, they are an army. There are mm-hmm. any number of things. And so, uh, so I'm just a sucker for it. And some of – okay, you brought up TV. Uh there is a scene in the American office in which Jim and Dwight are on a sales call. They're like, they're at somebody's company. They're in front of his office. Uh, they're, they're in his office uh, in front of his desk and they're, and Jim is kind of, uh, he's giving the sales pitch where, whereas Dwight is looking at his phone and, has made a phone call and is, and so while Jim is talking to the, to the boss of this company, Dwight is on the phone going one, three, (laughs) one. And so he's doing that. And then, and you're wondering like, why is Dwight doing this? Is he like, is he sabotaging Jim? Like they just right before they had just gotten in a bit of a tiff. Um, and then at just, and Jim is talking about like the, like the customer service and that kind of thing that they'll find it, that you'll find it Dunder Mifflin, Mifflin. And he goes, meanwhile, here's the customer service at the paper company you're currently using. Mm-hmm. And Dwight then like holds up the phone, puts it on speaker. And you realize that's who he's been talking to. He goes, now here's who you talk to when you call Dunder Mifflin and he calls he, he calls Dunder Mifflin and then Kelly picks up mm-hmm. and says, hello, what can I do for it? And you realize like in this moment, like, Oh, they've got this down to a science. They just, and what's more, they can put aside petty differences and work towards this common goal. It's a wonderful scene. And that goes into another thing that I, I didn't write down, but I will mention. Uh, I enjoy watching people that are good at their job. That's. I feel like I'm turning this into TV, but if I like Joss Whedon for the teamwork thing, I like Aaron Sorkin for the people being good at their job. Oh, sure. Thing. Yeah, yeah, that works That, that works very well. Um, and so um, can you think of any – I have several others, but I don't want to I don't want to just go from one into the other. Uh, do you have – like what are, what are some of your other uh, simple pleasures? Well, I know. Let's go to the – let's talk about the people being good at their jobs. Okay. Thing. All right. This is your idea for an episode, so I think yeah. you'll uh, 
admittedly, I didn't make any notes on that, but I, so I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm sure if I were to try, I, I could, but, uh, but I, well, I guess, um, I think of, uh, well, I, it's all going to be Aaron Sorkin stuff, okay. you know, but, um, uh, I think, I think of Michael J. Fox in American president, you know, okay. yeah. uh, as being, you know, there's a certain Michael J. Fox type of character, you yeah. know, uh, and he, and he is that he's sort of like exasperated a lot, you know, and has this sort of like runty energy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you know, he's this, he's a little guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you actually, when they're trying to work up the votes to pass this, this thing and you see him on the phone with people and you realize that there's like a, there's a shark in him, <laughs> you know, uh, it's a very intense, uh, intense scene. That's something that, uh, it's, so I guess it's not just the, like people being good at their jobs, but like people who give off a certain quality of maybe less than professionalism, uh, suddenly like snapping into gear when the time comes. Well, to go back to our, uh, premium episode, I will say, but sticking with uh, Aaron Sorkin, you got Charlie Wilson's war and you've got specifically the character of Gus who just, who is, did you say Gus? I did. It's Gust. I know, but I don't want to do that. Um, so uh, you have a character who is incredibly good at his job in spite of everything about him. Yeah. It seems like this guy would be just so self-destructive, and he is, Yeah, but he knows when to get the job done. You know, And that's the thing is I feel like Aaron Sorkin is particularly good at this because he is a big fan of just having the characters constantly like – not uh, just constantly having the upper hand, even when it's maybe not the most realistic to do so. Like when Gust Gust is talking about, it goes, now I, I bugged the bottle, you know, it just <laughs> doing that sort of thing. Right. Um, where he's like, I feel like that wouldn't happen in life, but who, who's to say it doesn't matter in the world of this movie. It does. And you feel like you're in good hands when you see these people do this thing. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and incidentally, there's speaking of, West Wing and and Aaron Sorkin and that kind of thing, um, as uh, as the uh, in seasons that you haven't seen, we get to see characters that that you haven't that you also haven't seen. Um, we get to see them be good, uh, even members of the opposition, mm-hmm. and and that's that's refreshing as well. Uh, you know, speaking of people like sort of revealing that they're good at something you didn't realize. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see uh, Ichi the Killer? No, I did not. So there's a guy in the movie, I guess this is going to be a bit of a spoiler for people who didn't see it because it's a great reveal. There's a guy in the movie who spends the whole movie wearing like a windbreaker and sweatpants. He's very much an everyman. He's balding, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and he's he's never the one doing the fighting. Yeah. You know, but then at the end, the time comes for him to do the fighting and he unzips the windbreaker and take it off. And you realize under what we thought was this schlubby exterior, he's fucking ripped. Okay. And you're like holy shit, like, yeah. this is going to go down right now. That's a great example. Uh, and it's a, H.E. the Killer is a really cool movie. I w- yes, I've I've heard it's great, and I can picture the cover right now. And maybe the cover is what fr- is frightening <laughs> me away from it. Um, but the uh, I will mention this. Uh, I've been something of a broken record with my friends lately about uh, one of my favorite video games when I was a kid. It was called Gabriel Knight. Uh, it's, it's kind of a... There's a narrative to it, and so you're this character, Gabriel, but... Uh, there's another character who's your buddy, who's a detective. He's schlubby. He's, you know, he wears like this white, this uh, yellow polyester jacket and he's just, and he's constantly like, uh, 
he's constantly kind of the foil to, to Gabriel, but he is a detective. But you also think that because he is, has a policeman's mentality that he's not going to be able to follow the spiritual nature of the voodoo murders and that he's mm-hmm. going to be left behind. And there, the, the game takes place over 10 days. And on day number six or seven, you run across what you run across like Mosley's body. Like he said, like, OK, uh, I believe you. I believe that something's going on here. I'm going to have to go out on my own. And then you see later, you see his body right before you get knocked unconscious by somebody. And then you wake up and then you wind up like you go out of the country and you experience all these kind of things. And then you get back and uh, this other character that you care deeply about has been kidnapped. And so now you are truly alone only to find Mosley is still around that he that he's the one that knocked Gabriel out uh, because he thought he was one of the people that he was after because the light had been uh, busted anyway. And so, um, so just the re the, uh, the feeling of, of being alone that Gabriel has. And then the reveal that, Oh, I'm not alone. My friend is here precisely because he's good at his job. Like when he, when he catches Gabriel up on like what he's been doing the last few days, uh, the way he lists it, you realize like, oh shit, like he's a genuinely good detective. And then there at the end, there's a, a scene where uh, the main villains like second in command, who's this very large imposing character. Uh, he gets uh, like he there's all this spiritual stuff going on. And so like he slaps this woman and then there's these uh, these little cut panel things and you see a gunshot and Mosley's just shot this guy and he's dead now. And that's when you realize like, oh yeah, in the midst of all the spiritual stuff, I forgot about guns. And, uh, and, and so it's like, ah, yes, Mosley didn't forget about his gun. And so it's, and it's all about this game a lot, but now I actually want to play it. Well, I've got good news for you, my friend. Uh, sometime this year, they are releasing a 20th anniversary updated version that you'll be able to play. And it's super awesome. I cannot talk about it enough. Uh, but that's an example of someone, especially what you talk about, someone that you thought was not this thing mm-hmm. and then the turn not capable, whether it be in their job or anything else. You think they're this and it turns out they're remarkably capable and they they've subverted your your expectations or uh, of them. So um, and it's interesting. You actually in talking about Michael J. Fox's character, you brought up two of my things. OK. One is I'm a big fan of not to imply his character is Weasley, but he is diminutive. Uh-huh. I'm a big fan of the Weasley assistant, whether it be <laughs> comedically or whatever. So the like examples, um, Adam Brody in uh, Thank You for Smoking. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. Like, I don't like that movie very much, but he's great in it. Oh, he's uh, yeah, he's delightful. Um, and just the 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 two examples I came up came up with immediately. One was the Maltese Falcon. I'm a big fan of Peter Laurie in that. Uh-huh. And then uh, Kids in the Hall Brain Candy. Dave Foley plays this Weasley character, this Weasley sidekick character to the to the primary villain. Yeah. And just it's it's a certain type of suck up type of character who clearly has no love at all for the main villain or whatever. Right. But they do this because they know this is how they will get their share of power. And it, I just love it. I don't know why, but I just like that character, especially when they're done well. Um, and Dave Foley, as as I believe the character's name is Marv. That sounds right. Um, yeah. And just little things like uh, I forget what uh, what uh, Don, played by Mark McKinney, uh, essentially doing Lauren Michaels. Michaels. Yeah. <laughs> I forget what he says. 
he's like, oh, we've got to do this. He goes, where are we on that, Marv? He goes, where are we on what? He goes, oh, this thing. He goes, you mean the thing that you just mentioned right now? <laughs> he goes, yeah, where are we? He goes, oh, we're on top of that, Don. And he just says it with this, with this assuredness, knowing full well, well, just Don just wants to hear we're on top of it. That's it. It doesn't matter. And it's just such a... so. Like when you do it right, and Dave Foley is the type of person that could do it right, um, I'm a big fan of it. So There's that's so much great stuff in that movie. I know, like the kids themselves are not that happy with that movie because I don't think they were on good terms when that while they were. Making I guess it. not, but man, oh man, who cares? But you were like the the. The fortunes of this pharmaceutical company are tracked in pharmaceutical variety. I think is the, <laughs> that's right, the that's newspaper they read. Oh man, that's great. And the exchange that I just said, I think it happens right before Don says uh, they're st- they're standing in a comically large office uh, at a insanely large table, and he immediately just goes, "Are we ever going to get the Are we ever going to get the big table in here? Or do I have to go go down and cut down that fucking tree myself?" <laughs> It's delightful. I am also, by the way, uh, I didn't write this down, but I'm a big fan of like a comically mon- uh, uh, mono, hang on, how do you say it? Monomaniacal? Monomaniacal, is that it? I think so. Megalomaniacal is what I meant to say. Uh, I think that's what, that's what I meant to say too. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm a big fan of the comically megalomaniacal villain, and so you get that. You know? Yeah. And I'm a big fan of like a like a C. Montgomery Burns and that sort of thing. So, um What's next on your list? What's next? Okay. I will combine these two. Eating and coffee. Um, drinking is okay just in general, but there's something about coffee and the casualness of coffee, and then eating as well. You have two characters sitting and genuinely eating, not sitting and talking over food. I want to actually see them eating. It just, it, it, it has such an air of realism to me it's one of the reasons why i think pulp fiction is so brilliant and the pulp fiction by the way fits into a lot of these mm-hmm. for me um because he's perpetually subverting the inherent uh uh extreme nature of these characters jobs in their lives and making it clear that oh they're just people like yeah. everybody else and the fact that they're just sitting in this diner you know and eating and the way just like the next time you watch that scene in the diner between Jules and Vincent, really watch what both act, what each actor is doing and the way where they choose to say something as they're taking a drink of coffee. Um, you know, bacon tastes good. Pork chops taste good. He's saying that as mm-hmm. he's as he's like cutting food or as he's about to put it in his mouth. Um, and just there's a different quality. It sounds strange. There's a different quality to somebody's voice and their cadence when they are eating. And if you do it right, you, that movie can have that movie or television show can have you believing the most unbelievable things. And so like, and that's, that's the a chief example, but it's one of the reasons why I think, you know, it works really well in uh, uh, reservoir dogs, the, the opening scene. Um, and there are other people aside from uh aside from um Quentin Tarantino that do it um oh you know what there's a scene in Lord of the Rings where John Noble is having one of the uh, hobbits sing to him uh-huh. while he is eating and the way and admittedly he's not talking but as he is eating like they are making him seem a little more voracious than he probably than anybody probably is but uh again it's just I can't put my finger on what it is. Maybe I already have a little bit, but like, it's just, 
I feel like maybe maybe it's that an actor cannot hide their humanity when they are doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a it's a primal thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think it might be that. You know, the thing uh, you mentioned eating, it makes me think of why I like movies that depict cooking. Okay. And it's because I like um, I like showing a process uh, in a, in a movie. Sure. Um, uh, to reference our premium episode again, we very briefly talked about the film uh, "The Secret of the Grain," which um, so much of that you know over two hour movie has to do with the preparation of a large amount of couscous. That's mm-hmm. uh, a major part of the of the movie, um, and that's fantastic to me. But other other um, processes I like. Well, there's a movie I don't know if I've ever mentioned on the podcast before. It's called "The Way of the Gun," um, but that has. Probably the slowest car chase in the history of movies oh, yeah. down the alley. But it's the reason it's slow is because you're slowing it down. There, uh, if you haven't, if those who haven't seen the movie, there, it's not like it's not what you think of when you call it. Like it's a car chase. The cars mm-hmm. are rolling around. They're essentially in neutral and rolling, and then the guys are getting on both cases. You know, both the guys chasing and the ones being chased are getting into and out of using the car as a shield for you know to fire from behind, mm-hmm. and you know they're. The, a, a, every decision they make in that car chase scene and in that movie in general is so measured, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so considered. Uh, I find that really fascinating. I think film being um, a, a, a an art form that takes place, it exists fourth dimensionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but unlike, say, a stage play, you can also collapse or expand the fourth dimension. You know, so you can take a process and make every piece of it equal. You mm-hmm. know, when I'm making uh, my eggs in the morning, right, I might spend more time. Uh, well, this reminds me of, have you ever seen the opening uh, credits of Dexter? No. Which it's, even as the show got bad, it's maybe my favorite opening titles sequence of any TV show ever. Because okay. it's just all close-ups of his process while he's getting ready for the day. Mm-hmm. So it's him like tying his shoes or shaving or cooking, you know. And so when I'm making eggs, I spend long, I spend more like time stirring the eggs than I do just turning on the stove or what have you. Yeah. But in cinema, you can give every, every single piece, because no matter how long it takes in real life, every piece of a process is equally important. Yeah. To it doesn't process. matter how long you stir the eggs if the stove isn't on. Right. Yeah. So, uh, cinema can allow you to get be, through close-ups and editing and slow motion and, and uh, whatever you need. You can depict a process. You can depict every part of a process and, uh, and, and, and make it, um, make it a narrative in itself. You know, Which, one of the, one of the great, uh, one of the great process sequence sequences in movies is Rafifi. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what's it? That's over twenty minutes, right? Where it's a yeah. silent, no words at all, and it's them doing a robbery. They're breaking into a place and stealing stuff yeah. with no words for like twenty-five minutes or something like that. Yeah, it's a long sequence. Yeah, and it's I actually fantastic. just I just watched uh, Michael Mann's Thief for the first time, uh-huh. and uh, that owes a lot to Rafifi and to Melville just in general. But that has a lot of what you're talking about. Um, as does speaking of like the use of montage to just show. Uh, like a rapid succession of one, essentially one thing. Uh, by and large, I'm not a huge fan of Guy Ritchie, but there's a lot going on in Snatch that I really enjoy. And when you get Cousin Avi's travel from the United States mm-hmm. to London, 
you see every little you see like stamping the passport you have him taking a sleeping pill on the plane yeah like all of these things uh in the course of 15 seconds maybe 20 uh and it's just such a wonderful and yeah that's you know i actually like snatch more uh more than i used to mm-hmm. because maybe i think there's been enough there have been enough filmmakers who have uh, used some of like Guy Ritchieisms without um, the sense of humor, the intent that yeah, he true, uses. Because yeah. even when he does something, he does a lot of really flashy stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but there's a point to all of it, yes. you know. Um, the one of my favorite things in that movie that I used to not like, but I like in retrospect, is when. Uh, um, uh, what is it? Vinnie Jones says that mentions that a gun, the gun has the words "desert Rep- desert eagle" yeah, yeah. on the side of it, and the camera goes and shows you in close up like each letter yeah. of like "desert eagle" or whatever it says. Um, that's really cool, and that's what I'm talking about with this idea of collapsing or expanding time um, that cinema can do. Uh, but it's also it's not just doing it because it's cool. Like mm-hmm. I think there have probably been filmmakers. Um, you know, uh, we talked about Michael Bay picking shots like in Pearl Harbor because he thinks they look cool, but without really considering the meaning of them. Yes. Whereas Vinnie Jones talking about what's on the side of the gun is very important to what he's saying about that scene. You know, what yeah. he's saying the difference about between his gun and their gun. Yeah. What he's saying about why he has the upper hand. Yeah. Uh, you know, because to a casual observer who doesn't know, who doesn't have Vinnie Jones's character's history with crime and violence and guns it seems like a Mexican standoff, right. right? But he's explaining why he has the upper hand and showing those words "Desert Eagle." Uh, I think that's what it's. Uh, I know that's the type of gun. that sounds right. Yeah, um, uh, illustrate his point in a way that is, um, you know, unflinchingly cinematic, but not uh, not uh, not flashy for its own. Yeah, sake. I'm trying to think what the word is that I'm looking for. Um, anyway, it's not superficial. That's not the word I'm looking for. But it's not superficial. Right. Um, that's what I'm looking for. Gratuitous? Sure, that sounds that something sounds else right. I was going to say. Uh, there's a there's something else in in Snatch that will get me into my next one, my next simple pleasure. Not that this is necessarily simple. Extraneous. Extraneous is a word that it, that came to mind as you okay. were struggling for it. All right. um, sorry. The uh, and I'm sorry I didn't say it. I'm I left you hanging there. I apologize. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove I, all doubt. I live my life by those. <laughs> I live my life by that principle, except for when I'm recording the podcast. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so I'm a big fan. Let's see. Let me see where I, uh, where did I write this down? Oh, yes. Okay. There's a certain type of, it is often an opening sequence in a film, or at least towards the beginning, where, and it is often highly stylized and there's, often a certain degree of animation involved. Um, and it's hard to explain because sometimes it is, Hey, here are the actors, but off, but sometimes it is, Hey, here are the characters, here are the main players that you'll need to know. And I tend to like it when the, when it's sort of high energy. And if you look at the beginning of snatch, mm-hmm. there's a sequence, which First off, the the music behind the, the soundtrack for Snatch is pretty solid. I, I like it all the way through, and so uh, so the music that plays is this very propulsive kind of thing that keeps everything going. And you see this uh, nice fluid sequence where it goes from one character to another, and then when it 
when the camera locks into that character, uh, you'll see them suddenly. It's like, uh, like an animated version of themselves, although I guess they're not really moving. So it's just like this, I don't know. It's hard to explain what it is, but what it does is each little, each frame, it's not a vignette, but every, every shot where it says, where you see an image of the person and you see their name written, uh, uh, what that does is it captures the essence of that character. And so it works for certain movies. It works for movies that are sort of simple and almost cartoonish, which is why it works great for Snatch. You've got characters named like Bricktop and Bullet Tooth Tony uh-huh. and, you know, Doug the Head and stuff like that. So it works really well there um, because it just, it gives you a general idea. It's like, hey, you see how this guy looks now? That's basically what we're dealing with. <laughs> um, and so... uh and especially when it works with the music really well, uh, there, there's nothing better. And then, like, uh, a good example of this on TV right now is actually the opening to uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where it is – in this case, they're not saying the names of the of the characters, but the names of the actors. But mm-hmm. each one, it's like, okay, they're in the midst of a, of a very specific action, and then it'll freeze frame, and it'll and, – and it's saying this is who this character is. And so it, it wouldn't work – I don't think it would work for a drama – um, it would only work for a certain type of comedy, I think. Uh, but for some reason, I'm a total sucker for it every time. I love it. Yeah. Um, I think it goes along with my slow-mo hip-hop thing and just kinda, being sort yeah. of badass. Yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, that looks awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Uh, and actually, another example that I just thought of, uh, of that, though it's not quite as awesome. Just now? Just now. Okay. That's right. While we were talking. Indeed, Yes. <laughs> there, that's loaded with meaning what we just said um the uh the opening and character introductions of uh magnolia uh there's it's it's done in montage it's you know amy man one is the loneliest number and then it goes through this tends to work well with ensemble casts by the way in fact sure. almost yeah. i would say exclusively um and so it's going through each character as they're starting their day um and so uh, and it's a really nice it's a really nice sequence because it doesn't necessarily boil them down to their essence, uh, partially because I think a lot of the characters can't be viewed that way. But um, but it does say, all right, here are the players. Now, where are we? And I guess Wes Anderson does this quite a bit, too. And I think it actually works really well, given what I've been talking about, which is it, it can work really well in kind of a cartoonish universe. Mm-hmm. Um, his his worlds tend to be that. And so I think it works really well for him as well. Um all right, so I have several more, but I'm not going to say them all. I'll try to... All right, yeah, uh, let's rush through these. Okay. Uh, one, okay, this is... I have no reason for this. I don't know why. I'm a big fan of long monologues full of information. Not merely full of emotion. I like mm-hmm. that, too. But I'm not talking about network. I'm talking about JFK. Oh, okay. You know, like, it, there's I just... I thought of the social network, to go back to... Social Aaron network. Uh, 12 Angry Men is another one, where just someone's talking and just one fact after another and jfk has a million of them like that and for whatever reason it doesn't seem like jfk would be the most rewatchable movie in the world i've seen it i don't know a dozen times (laughs) and it's and what's more it was something i would throw in rather casually now some of that is the is just like it is oliver stone at the top of his game like from an editorial standpoint um it's just the way he keeps things moving uh before he kind of went overboard with it maybe um but he was still kind of in a transition in his career because if you look at wall street and platoon 
and even born on, on the 4th of July, uh, those are actually pretty straightforward as far as their visual sense. And then, At least comparatively. Uh, comparatively, At the time, yeah, yeah. they probably weren't thought of as right. such, yeah. but compared to where he went. Yeah. Compared to that and then Nixon and uh, any given Sunday and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm fine with that. I, I like Nixon. I like JFK. But there is just one scene after another of characters just offering information, whether it be about Lee Harvey Oswald, whether, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, Donald Sutherland's character X talking about that, or whether it be the super long monologue that Kevin Costner has at the end during the trial. Mm-hmm. You would think, I remember years ago, I don't remember what it was, but, uh, there was some article online that was talking about scenes that, that can put you to, that'll put you to sleep. And they said, and they mentioned Donald Sutherland's monologue um, that it, it comes roughly in the middle of JFK. Mm-hmm. And it says, throw that on and, and roll over and go to sleep. And part of me is like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. I find that invigorating. Yeah. I just, my mind is working so fast. And it ha- whether it be a movie that's you know based on fact like JFK or uh, something like 12 Angry Men. I was, I was recently on um, uh, our friends, the Autour cast. I was on their podcast talking mm-hmm. about Bullworth. Which is also a movie that finds that episode. I think will not yet be available. Okay, well, at the time of airing. Stay tuned then, because I'll be talking about Bullworth, Warren Beatty's Bullworth, and that's also a movie that finds lots of uh, fun ways to impart a lot of information or you know opinion, maybe yeah. in this case, sure, because it's political opinion in a lot of cases. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's, I think it's the same sort of thing that we're talking about. And it's just, and that's the thing. I'm a big fan of a good monologue, like in Network, like uh, Quint's speech in Jaws, mm-hmm. like any. I'm a big fan of those, and, but the, I do view these as different animals. This is we need to convey a lot to other characters and the audience. And that's the thing. There are probably plenty of them that are bad that I'm not thinking of. But when they're done well, when you've got a Donald Sutherland or yeah, any number of people, that, from it helps. It helps yeah. a lot. And just suddenly you're just like, can, oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. Can I ask you – this is a bit off topic okay. and we can remove this if you don't want to talk about it. Um, has your opinion on Bullworth as a movie changed as your politics have changed? No. So you still like the movie? Yes. Okay, good. I still love the movie. Okay. Um, it's very funny. I think that goes a long way. It's very funny. It's just like – and that's the thing. You know, as as the character, it's it's about a character who is who is you know liberal and is and his sort of compromise. When the movie starts, he's compromised to kind of mm-hmm. pander to a certain base. And the movie was made like two years after Bill Clinton said the age of the era of big government is over. So right. it's like I could see a lot of genuine frustration on that side. And incidentally, there's plenty of frustration on the other side too. Of like. You know, there's the word rhino that shows up from time to time, Republican mm-hmm. in name only. Yeah, and yeah. so so that's the kind of that's the kind of frustration that anybody, I think, can relate to. And then and yeah, like I don't agree with the with a lot of the uh, like the healthcare care stuff or. Yeah, not necessarily. But that's the thing is underneath all of that is such a genuine truth and honesty that uh, frankly, I, I'm sure there are probably a number of conservatives that would watch that and be like, ah, it's all preaching. It's just like, who? I don't think so. Yeah. Because I think it does such a great job of realizing that character mm-hmm. and the world that he and the people around him and the world he's living in. It's just like, I, I could watch this all day. Um, so yeah, I, it, it has not. That's the thing. As I've, as I've said, uh, as I think I've said before, it's just like, all a movie really has to be is good. Uh huh. And yeah. and I'll probably like it. 
Yeah. You know, it could be it could be the most anti-Christian, anti-conservative. It could be a movie called Tyler Smith is an asshole. <laughs> and part right. of, and you know, like you put uh you have Terrence Stamp saying it, and part of me is like, oh, he's got a point. I am kind of an asshole. <laughs> or Donald Sutherland. <laughs> and so uh so yeah, uh everybody go and watch Bullworth. Now I now I just want to watch it. Um so okay, uh let's see. Uh long monologues. I'm a big fan of a very specific type of claustrophobic production design. Um, I mentioned Alien already. That's a great example. And then recently – Like artfully cluttered. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So it doesn't have to be incredibly stylized as it is an alien. It could be just somebody's somebody's lived-in office and you're like, oh, man, this is suffocating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's weird that I enjoy suffocation in a film. Do you know but, what came to mind, weirdly, a movie I never think about and didn't actually like that much? What's that? But Ed Harris's apartment in the hours. Because oh, yeah. he's he's ill and so he doesn't go outside very often. And that yeah. that sticks out to me as being memorable production design. Yeah. Obviously it sticks out to me because I haven't thought about it in years and it suddenly popped into my mind. Yeah. Well, and you could say Barton Fink is the same way, specifically mm-hmm. his hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um where it's fairly spacious, it's not remarkably cluttered, but and some of it I'm sure some of it is the way that it is shot. Um but it just seems like it's the walls are constantly closing in. Uh, but a good example of this is a movie that has not yet come out. You mentioned uh, The Watch with uh, Richard Aowati. He directed a film called The Double, mm-hmm. which comes out, I think, next month, and that I was lucky enough to get to see. And mm-hmm. that film has – I mean, you've got plenty of like – you know, you've got Brazil in there. You've got uh, – you got a lot of Gilliam in there and some and some uh, Cronenberg – but all with a kind of a sense of humor as well. Yeah. Not to imply Gilliam doesn't have a sense of humor. And you are you know, early in the episode. You mentioned Jean-Pierre Jeannot and mm-hmm. Amelie. He oh, yeah. does a lot of the same thing. Yeah. yeah. City of Lost Children has, has that. And I'm not sure why I think more so than like a wide open space where, you know, don't get me wrong. Like the desert in Lawrence of Arabia can be plenty oppressive, but like a wide open space. I just, maybe it's, it goes, you know, it goes back to what you were talking about. I think, um, when you watch a movie, there's something inherently artificial about it. And so when you see a movie on a big screen, it only makes sense that you're going to see a big, wide-open vista. That somehow just makes sense. It's still beautiful, mm-hmm. and it still can be very effective, um, but it somehow it just seems the way it should be. But to use the big screen to make us feel suffocated and to yeah. make us feel like everything's closing in on us, that seems like a very special kind of... Uh, perversion yeah. uh, artistically and when it's done well and I, i've said this before and i will say it again it's not very often that i say hey everyone should rush out and see and watch and purchase such and such a blu-ray i cannot talk enough about just how wonderful alien looks on blu-ray you know the, i bought it i have it still haven't watched the blu-ray since i got it the corridors alien aliens. the corridors of the nostromo they have never – and I've seen the film on the big screen. Hmm. Like they have never seemed more tangible and palpable and real than when I saw it on Blu-ray. And that's a weird I, – I feel weird saying that. Um, and I feel like I've just been talking about Alien a lot today. I'm sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I don't know you apologize. It's a good uh, movie. I will bring up uh, – let's go with one last thing, okay. which is – okay. Let me ask you this. Either – Reluctant villain or a job is a job. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know which one to uh, 
Let's go with a job as a job, because I'm okay. not entirely sure what you mean by that, so I'm more okay. intrigued. All right, so I mentioned Pulp Fiction already, but I'll also bring up The Fugitive and Killing Them Softly and any number of things. The idea that people have... I mean, we see cops and crooks and any number of things on TV and in film all the time. It is, to us, a very... Not necessarily glamorous, but it's it, it can... There's a potential for it to be very stylized. Um, just like, oh, man... They're cops. They're out there keeping the streets safe. You know, there's some, there's a nobility in that. Mm-hmm. And then in criminals, it's like, oh, there's a glamour there that it's like, oh, they're, they're working outside the system. Um, but what I like is that I like any movie that implies that, yeah, there are aspects to that, but it is mostly just a job, um, a job that they like and a job that they're probably good at. But whether it be Jules and Vincent talking very casually as they go, towards as they move towards a hit but it's like mm-hmm. well they've done this a million times so of course yes there'll be you know they need to get into character but going into it it's the same as when you and i you know when you drive to work or when i wake up and plunk my ass down into my chair and start editing photos like it's just like all right let's get let's let's do this yeah. even if it's a job we like um that and then uh and then the interaction of the U.S. Marshals and the Fugitive, I think, is one of the reasons that movie works so well. And just the way that Tommy Lee Jones and the cast around him, they sell that like, this is just one more case. When this one is over, yeah. it's important. It's the case we're, we're all working yeah. on now. But when this one is done, there will be another one. Well, that's why the, one of the most famous lines in that movie works so well is when he says, I didn't kill my wife. And Tommy Lee Jones says, I don't care. Yeah. It's because Tommy Lee Jones is after him because he broke out of prison it doesn't matter to him at all whether he killed his wife he broke out of prison it's his job as a marshal to track him down uh i I think that like i think that uh you know in a in another movie another type of movie tommy lee jones character would be the villain right because richard kimball's our hero and tommy lee jones is trying to yeah he's not he's not javert (laughs) yeah he's but but uh he's a sympathetic guy because he's doing his job and he's good at it yeah and it's just and and his team and his team is good and so every little and i i watch that and i remember the workplaces where i have been employed and just the casual nature and just like it's like oh it's a guy calling says he's Kimball. It's like oh who is it? Uh, we got another another Kimball. Like just uh-huh. apparently people call in say that they've seen him and stuff. But then of course when they realize that it is him, uh-huh. they all jump into action because it is their job. Um, and so I'm reminded. I actually recently uh, spoke with a uh, a listener whose film uh, I, I reviewed on the website called The Backseat. Um, his name is Ryan O'Leary, and uh, gosh, I hope I'm not. Yeah, this is fine. Um, but uh, yes, this is okay because it's on his Facebook page. Uh, so uh, he's a private detective. Uh, he works for a private detective agency. And so when I Skyped with him, I'm going to go ahead and say, yeah, sure. I want to talk about his movie. I'm going to go ahead and say, hey, Ryan, you'll hear this. But And I think I told you this. A good 70% of what I wanted to talk about was his being a private detective in 2014. Um, and he's young. He's like in his, in his uh, mid-20s. And so, uh, and he just talked about, it's like, I, I assume it's probably not Sam Spade all the time. Uh, and he goes, yeah, it's mostly this. And he just described what it was. And what is it mostly? Catching cheating spouses? Uh, and uh, insurance fraud. Huh. And like, just basically following people and watching, just watching all the time. And like, the biggest, the most dramatic thing is learning like how to hold your urine or to how to pee in bottles. Huh. 
and that sort of thing. Because even if you step away for five minutes, you could miss the person and you might not even know it at the time. And so that's the thing is, and I never saw cold, I never saw cold weather, but that's a young guy who's a detective. And I assume that there's a certain degree of, uh, uh, go ahead. Uh, that's a movie that I, I don't know if I could fit this into the topic uh, this uh, this idea that but it goes back to what I was talking about process about treating everything equally mm-hmm. but cold weather takes that takes a comedic sense yeah. to that because the character is taking on this detective work he's you know trying to figure out what happened it's a very serious thing what happened to this person where they go but he also decides that as a detective he needs to smoke a pipe yeah and so the scenes of him going to a pipe shop and picking out the right pipe for him being a detective are given just as much weight as the rest of it. Yeah. I, and I love that because it's, because yes, it's important, but it is just a job, you know, in the same way that, uh, it's not exact, it's not exactly the same, but like in the big Lebowski, when, when, uh, the dude says, he's like, Oh no, I told them like, if it's during league play, I, I'm out. <laughs> like the bowling tournament is by far more interesting than the possibly missing person, uh, that he's, yeah. that he's now responsible for. Uh, another example is a movie called uh, killing them softly, which I've talked about uh, at length on this show. So I won't go into a lot of detail, but there you have hitmen and, uh, you know, mm. pimps and just criminals in an organization and just the way that they interact. It's like any other job. That Certain- reminds me of the, Donald Sutherland movie Panic, uh, oh, where yeah. it's the family business. Yeah, which is yeah, that's an interesting take on being a hitman. And it's just, and that's the thing is like, if you are somebody who is okay with killing somebody for a living, and you've probably and you've done it for years, then this one isn't going to seem like there might be some specifics that make it a little bit more important, but the fact of it is no more important. And so, a job is a job, whether it be you know working where you work or working where I work, mm-hmm. um, or you're a cop or you're a criminal, you're going to, you got to make your money however you got to make it. And when you do it long enough, it's going to cease to be this amazing thing, even if you like it. And I like any movie that captures that. Um, and especially, and this goes, so many of these things get wrapped up, uh, into one another. And so like, for example, um, with the fugitive, you also have teamwork. Mm-hmm. You have people who are casual in their job because they've been working together for so long. They know they can depend on this other yeah. person. And thus, it's not treated as a big deal that they can depend on this other person. And so um, there are many others that I have, and I won't go into them because each of them requires a fair amount of uh, okay. explanation. Uh, so we perhaps can do a part two of this episode. Perhaps we can, yes. So, And the neat thing about a, a topic like this is that uh, – Listeners, I'm sure each of you has like five or six things of your own, maybe maybe even more. Yeah, this could make for a fun comment section. I think so. I, I, I hope so. So don't hesitate to to comment. Yeah, uh, in the post of this uh, of this episode. Well, um, thanks. Uh, this was fun. So let's. Uh, I mean, I'm used to thanking a guest. I feel like we've had a lot of guests recently. You can thank me. Uh, thanks for the topic suggestion. Tyler. Don't, don't mention it, buddy. Uh, you can find us at battleship That's where you find this podcast and all the other podcasts in the BP fleet. And that's also where you find all the movie reviews, um, that are very insightful and helpful. 
and interesting. Um, you can uh, email us, David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at ThePretension. You can follow Tyler at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at MoreThanOneLesson.com. What's going on over there? Well, uh, as of this, uh, as of the day this airs, the most recent thing on the site is uh, my mini-sode about No Country for Old Men because we're be- we've been going through the best pictures and we just hit that one and that was a fun discussion. But I want to s- let everyone know in a few days, Thursday, um, we're going to be talking about Darren Aronofsky's Noah. A lot of there's been a lot of hubbub, yeah, uh, amongst Christians and otherwise about this film, and uh, and so my friend, so Josh, my co-host, my friend Nathan will be on. It will be episode 100. So will I get modeling? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> when we when you don't do it every week, episode 100 doesn't mean right. Like it's not indicative. Of like oh, we've done it a hundred weeks, right? Um, and so are um, you guys gonna also gonna talk about the Christian Bale Moses movie later this year? Probably. Uh, the week after that, we will be talking about the uh, the Christian film God's Not Dead, which Josh and I saw a few days ago. Right. And uh, that's the thing. Sometimes Hollywood... Uh, Just one one more thing that God and punk, have in, punk rock have in common. Both not dead. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Punk's not dead. It's like a thing. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. Oh, all right. <laughs> Disco sucks. I know that. Yeah, but it doesn't. Disco's cool. You know, it's not bad. There's a song. <laughs> there's a song that I've, I'm sure I've mentioned on here before called "Boogie Fever," uh-huh. and uh, man, everyone seek out "Boogie Fever" by I believe the Silvers, Silvers with a Y, um, instead of the I. Uh, it's so much fun, David. I've got the boogie fever. You've okay. got the boogie fever. Yes, and you can. She's got the boogie fever. Everybody's got the boogie fever. Uh, my other podcast is the weekly TV show, TV podcast. Hey, watch this with Paul and David, except as we talked about this week, it's Hey, watch this with Paul and Tyler. So I got nothing to plug. Oh, we'll be, we'll be talking about the series finale of How I Met Your Mother, as well as the G.I. Joe episode of Community. Right. So thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 